He's gonna huff. He's gonna puff. He's gonna blow your house down. Stay tuned to more research is needed as we discuss who's afraid of the big bad wolf. Welcome to Therapist in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Therapist in Motion podcast. Paul here with you, along with Dan and K2. Hello, hello. Hello. Thanks for being here today, guys. So on today's episode of More Research is Needed, uh, we have a article that is an opinion piece that is from the <coughs> Journal of Orthopedic and Sports Physical Therapy uh, from September of 2020, and it is titled, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? Hence, thank you, Dan, for your opening. Open chain exercises after anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction. And it's an interesting uh, opinion piece because I think it does point to a number of items that are a bit of stigmas in our profession uh, and things that maybe people have blindly done or avoided without truly understanding why. But I also think the opinion piece falls under that idea of there's good consumers of research and there's people who consume parts of it and maybe either pick and choose or miss things or look at the totality of the picture that's in front of them. Now, I don't want to speak for the authors. I'm not saying they're claiming that this one two-page article, I believe, tells you everything you'll need to know about anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction uh, rehab. But I think for their big points, well important, there are definitely some components that we say, let's dig a little bit deeper and think more about this, especially if you have a young therapist out there that maybe has a patient in front of them, need to work on rehabbing after an ACL reconstruction. There's some takeaways, but there's some huge, huge heavy hitters that are just not quite present here. So first thing, uh, in the article, it's kind of broken down into three different pieces. Um, and the authors even state that their their key here is, and what they're trying to discuss and trying to help you understand is that open chain exercises are, quote, one, safe, two, critical to restoring quadriceps strength, and three, key for assessing readiness of return to sport. So those are kind of the ideas that are going to continue as we go through this. So the first thing, the, the authors discuss the thought process that open kinetic chain exercises loosens ACL grafts. Now, I know that in school, even myself, what we were taught was that you know the open chain exercises are risky. They're risky to that graft reconstruction. You shouldn't do open chain exercises. It can put more stress through the ACL. Now, before I go into what the article says, I'm just curious, Dan and K2, do either of you use open chain exercises with your patients post ACL reconstruction? Yes, I do. Especially like uh, uh, understanding the spectrum exercises. Uh, definitely as soon as we want to, you know, when they can tolerate the closed chain exos- uh, activities, uh, I'd like to incorporate um, closed chain exercises. But one of the prerequisites is, is if the muscles firing correctly, sufficiently. So we can check that uh, with uh, open kinetic chain exercise, which can be very safe depending on the load you know, and depending on how you set up. So definitely I use that as a stepping stone to initiate the program. At the same time, even like uh, I had some uh, experience. Uh, one time professional athlete came back to us like about six or seven months after ACL reconstruction. Then 
he was talking about、uh, just adding that、uh, open chain exercise that really helps him to、um, improve his function. So, even he was doing lots of cross chain stuff、uh, that six, seven months after the surgery, but he incorporated that. So, I take as an、no, uh, important note, then still I remember that sometimes, you know, that is what we need to go over the hump. I would agree. I also. Use it. I probably use it more in a controlled range of motion and avoid extremes of the range of motion based upon, again, like K2 said, where are they in their stage of rehab? What's the healing status of the graft? As well as how can I successfully integrate it into my programming prior to doing a closed chain exercise? Or I may use a closed chain exercise to get them, you know, the last 20 to 25 degrees of, of towards, moving towards knee extension from a flexed position, as opposed to doing that with an external load on a long lever arm, potentially providing a sheer force in the anterior to posterior direction. Well, I love that. And I agree with you guys. I also will use open chain exercises. And I think, Dan, you hit it perfectly with a purpose, right? I don't just. Blindly decide that, yep, I need some quad strength. So let's go ahead and toss on some ankle cuffs and let's go ahead and do some long arc quads, short arc quads, whatever it is we're looking across. I have a thought process and a purpose behind it. And again, I'm not trying to say this author doesn't get in, authors don't get into this appropriately. It is just a relatively short article. But if you look at the research that they quote, there is some really good take homes. If you read through more of the methods and more of the actual findings and get into not just the heavy takeaways. So, this is for those people that are abstract readers only. I highly, highly encourage you to go beyond the abstract because in the articles that they cite, this information is not in their abstracts but is held within the article. So,、uh, one thing that exists, as Dan said, you can use this within certain ranges. There is a truth to the idea. There is a truth to the idea that. Open chain long arc quads, so a knee extension, does put stress across the ACL. They've also shown in research that stress is no greater than just general gait. So, assuming that your ACL reconstruction patients are walking, which I hope most of them are, unless there's a meniscal repair in there, and even that nowadays I'm seeing、um, weight bearing happen with that, they're probably putting stress through it. Now, this Viewpoint article did state that it was two to three times greater in gait.、Um, the article they used only had 10 subjects and a really, really quick review of other articles I found. It was more similar than that much different. But nonetheless, if they're walking, they can do an open chain, long arc quad or knee extension exercise relatively safely at a low weight. As the weights increase, the Load across the ACL and the stress across the ACL increases significantly. As opposed to if you do a squat, you can keep loading a squat up. It doesn't change the ACL load, assuming correct form is there, obviously. If your patient is deviating in form, that certainly could put a bit of a problem. But as you look into the study a little bit further that talks about some of the stress that exists, some other things came up. So not only does increased weight in an open chain exercise increase the ACL stress, But it increases it greatly at the last 15 degrees of flexion to extension. So, low ranges of flexion, or as you're approaching extension, has significantly greater force than other ranges. So, let's take Dan's example and talk about it. Maybe Dan does want to put a little bit more load on there. A lot of the articles I found, about 10 pounds or less was safe. Over that, started to become a little bit stressful. 
Maybe Dan wants more than that. Or maybe Dan knows he's a patient is a bit fearful. Dan can use his knowledge he gained from the articles that are cited right here and say, you know what, I'm just going to go past 25 degrees of flexion. I'm, I'm sorry, I'll be past it and not go past that into an extension type of range. I'm not going to force that end range component. I'm going to use my knowledge that I have from these articles to help keep them safe. And particularly if you're in the 90 to 45 degree range, the stress is pretty low and you can put a pretty good load across it. So maybe you are worried about firing. You know, K2 used to have a great thing. We're talking about how we can re-educate firing. Maybe you do some prolonged holds, some contract, relax things also to help other muscles to relax. If maybe the hamstring is trying to compensate, maybe you're going to try to calm that hamstring down, then turn the quad on type of thing. You can use those with pretty good force in that 45 to 90 degrees of flexion and be relatively safe with everything. So you can use the info you have to help, but not actually stress the individual. Even then going into the article a bit further with it, they do talk about how appropriate form is huge. So with squats or lunges, as you do those exercises, having an appropriate anterior lean does behoove the patient and hence the stress on the ACL. So again, appropriate mechanics are actually beneficial for us, not just beyond, well, that could be a problem. You can think through, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Of course, that if I lean forward, I'm going to turn on that posterior chain a little bit more effectively and efficiently, and I'm going to be able to actually put the exercise to the degree I want to, but still keep my patients safe. Because at the end of the day, that is going to be the highlight for all of us. So I think, key here, I think we're all pretty much in agreement, right? We all think open chain exercises have a benefit. Um, I think all three of us mostly use them, it sounds like, for purposeful components, particularly that re-education of firing of the quadriceps, which we know in research, that's definitely one that is a big deficit for a lot of individuals after an ACL reconstruction. So since we're all in pretty good agreement, let's move on to some other things and have a little more discussion here. So the next point in the article, in the viewpoint article, uh, something the authors are arguing against is the thought that closed kinetic chain exercises are more functional than open chain exercises. Now, in the viewpoint itself, it kind of goes into the thought that what really is a functional exercise and how does this help with return to sport testing is more where they get into. So in particular, some of the more common tests you see, so a triple hop test or a crossover hop or a single hop test, really statistically validated um, measures for return to sport, they do say actually overestimates quad function. And they have some really good research that actually supports this, that if you compare simple quad strength, so that done on like an isokinetic machine or something of that nature compared to a hop test, you're going to have better results than maybe one should, or you could flip that and say it might hide some quadriceps recruitment issues simply because other muscles are compensating and being able to strengthen. So before we get into some of the other points, I am curious a little bit, what do you guys like to do when it comes to return to sport testing? Do you have certain go-tos for ACL reconstruction patients to make sure that they're prepared for the challenges that lie before them? Uh, I, that's a great question because there are certain things that I've learned over the last 11 years, but I would say the biggest component is they've got to be asymptomatic, they've got adequate strength, and they have to earn the right to move on to the next phase of the rehabilitation. And so 
I mean, early in my career, I was working with a surgeon's uh, ACL reconstruction patient, and I got burned because he was not satisfied with the patient's quad strength, and we had moved on to start some initial impact test or you know programming. And all of a sudden, the patient started to develop anterior knee pain, and it happened to be a few sessions before they went back to see their doctor. The doctor was not very happy with me because the patient did not demonstrate adequate quad strength uh, from whatever test he utilized. It could have been a handheld dynamometer or just a simple manual muscle test and or a girth measurement, right? So I quickly realized, okay, shame on me. That's on me as the therapist for not having adequate programming. But now I would say, you know, I'm still going to go back to the asymptomatic, adequate strength, both in functional and non-functional positions. Because as K2 elaborated on, they have to have local firing of that quad. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But on the flip side, as Paul already alluded to, and the initial article talked about the forces and the, the strength requirements to go through the graft... They have to have a certain level of absolute strength with their feet on the ground. And if they don't have a certain level of absolute strength with their feet on the ground, I can't adequately progress them to do anything related to sport because they don't have the foundation absolute strength to be able to accept higher loads that are required when you jump, hop, and run. So I I think that while I, I didn't give any specific exercises or tests that I'm looking for, I think that thought process of have they, are you as a therapist utilizing more than just one thing to say, yes, the athlete is ready to move or my patient is ready to move to the next phase of rehab. And you're looking at it in arguably more than one plane of motion, assuming that it's safe from a graft healing standpoint. That's a great point. Uh, For myself, for example, like maybe uh, progressing to running, I do have some criteria. Uh, just like Dan was saying, like maybe repeating like what Dan said, like uh, range of motion, adequate you know strength, open chain, manual muscle testing. But also I'm gonna do a single leg excursion test, which is I'm gonna check anterior excursion, even posterior and medial and external rotating medial position, the transverse plane. So checking that, and also loading pattern. You know, not necessarily strength is there, but if that loading pattern is not adequate, like maybe too much pronation happening, you know, they couldn't control it, you know. So, but uh, also looking at my uh, exercise program, then just like Dan said, have we loaded the athlete enough to go into, you know, running specifically? At the same time, I'm not just like rehabbing like you know, my clients for just running. So trying to expand the foundation so that, you know, um, all the exercise has to be more diversified. Then um, what we are doing is creating criteria or looking back on exercise itself. We are calculating a risk and success factors. And just like Paul said, what we're going to make a progression, is it going to be safe? Then if answer is yes, then the success rate is higher, then that is the time we're going to progress, you know, uh, our clients do it. So almost like a dashboard in a way. There are some criteria. At the same time, I heavily utilize how they perform exercises and looking back my exercise program. The one thing I will add to that is, you know, most 
studies have shown that you have to have within a 10% strength deficit, right? And that comes from isokinetic testing, which I cannot disagree with. So I can use that same principle when I'm looking at an excursion test in a safe but still challenging distance, right? You know, and let's just say they're not allowed to do any isolated transverse plane, knowing that there's still going to be transverse plane forces going through it, especially like Paul alluded to. If they're already walking, they're getting a transverse plane stress through their system. Is are they within 10% on that excursion test, on that step up test, on that step down test? Because if they're not within 10%, then from a functional standpoint, they there's there's some sort of deficit that is there that is probably due to my programming, right? Or I've missed something and how that athlete is recruiting and sequencing the firing of their system that again, probably comes back to something that I missed as a therapist in their programming leading up to testing them on said test, even if that's a isolated uniplater manual muscle test. I love that. And it's great. You went to the 10% and it is interesting. So something comes up here that I, I knew was a deficit, but I don't think I realized research-based how much. So we look at that 10% you want to be within. And a lot of studies you're talking about trying to say within the six-month mark. So that's where a lot of things are saying, let's really return to higher-level sport activities. Often it's three months you can turn to running and other things. Six months, let's get the clearance, right? Mm-hmm. One review that is cited in this viewpoint, they have 37 studies they looked at. And there are a good number of participants in each study. Of those 37 studies, five of the 37 had a significant number of individuals that were within the 10% range at six months. So that means 32 out of 37 had what would be, quote, a quadriceps strength deficit at six months post-op. It's a pretty big group. So the thought process behind that is saying, some, we're not doing something right in our rehab. This, uh, These authors are saying that the current functional exercises aren't doing it, so we have to go back to the open chain for it which I understand the thought process of recruiting earlier, but I think Dan and K2, you both hit on something much more important, which is what are we doing? Are we blindly prescribing exercises or are we looking at multi-plane? Are we looking at the actual performance by the athlete? Are we looking at how the quality is of the exercise? I think it's too easy to go through and miss some of those performance pieces. So one of the things that's specifically stated, this is a quote from the Viewpoint article, is saying, closed chain exercises involve the entire lower extremity, and patients are able to compensate for weak quadriceps with other muscle groups, such as hip extensors when performing a leg press. Closed chain exercises do little to combat the ubiquitous quadriceps weakness that may persist for at least two years after surgery. Good use of ubiquitous. Very nice word there, guys. <laughs> um, and, and agreed. You, know, you can have significant weakness persisting. And we do know that when athletes return with weakness, that does put them at risk. So here's the next question I have for you two. So I think we're in agreement that we need to do better. Uh, as a profession at making sure we have good quadriceps strength. And I also think all three of us are in agreement that it doesn't particularly require open chain. You can certainly use open chain to help recruit. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Um, but you can use closed chain and be able to actually assess their movement more thorough. However, to go to a question that was just brought up at a recent uh, little learning experience we had as a company here, how do you fit that into your day? So for you two, When you have maybe a busy day and you only have so much time with your patients and we utilize technicians, 
How do you make sure you have eyes on or how do you train your technician or your support staff or whoever's working with you to make sure the athlete or patient is going through the right form and using the right movement when you can't be with them for the entire hour and utilize your expertise? It's a really good question. And I think it first starts with taking the time to educate them on what you want them to look for and ensuring that they're comfortable with that first and foremost. Second, I think it comes with how you set yourself and or your technician aid, whatever, to be successful in the programming of that session. So I'm gonna go back, this individual did not have ACL reconstruction but had a meniscal repair and was having a little bit of shutdown pain what I call shutdown pain of, of their quadriceps when they would do any sort of eccentric load. They could go upstairs, but going downstairs was challenging for them. So we worked through a few different strategies to try and figure out how to get that quad to fire a little bit more strategically. And honestly, what, what ended up working was a combination of non-functional, non-loaded exercise immediately followed by a global integrated exercise. So we did low load long arc quad with cuff weight for 30 to 50 reps until a little bit of fatigue started to settle in, but the patient could feel their quadriceps firing. And then we immediately went into a loaded exercise where then they were able to say, yes, I can feel my quad engaging and I can feel that success point then I integrated with something different in a different range of motion. So perhaps it was an isometric hold in a wall sit. And then I gradually took away their other limb from support. So they're almost in a single leg wall sit, which is a relatively isolated exercise for the quad, especially at the angle of hip flexion that this individual was at, about 15 degrees of hip flexion, and then went back into a loaded quad exercise in an integrated fashion. And so I was programming in a specific way to help them integrate it. And that helped my technician see my thought process to then say, okay, great. If I hear the patient tell me they have shutdown pain, I'm going to go try this strategy that worked two sessions ago and see if it worked again today. And if the answer is no, then I've cued them to come and speak with me. Great. And um, what I'm thinking is like when we progress exercise for ACL clients, post-ACL repair, you know, reconstruction clients. Many cases, I don't want to overgeneralize, but many cases I start with clutch uh, after, you know, properly firing the open chain, uh, clutch chain exercise. I'm going to start hitting, utilize more posture chain involvement. So the hip, you know, glutes and uh, hamstring, you know, so that they can control better. Gradually, I'm going to take in those uh, involvement less so that more quad involvement. So they have to rely on the quad. So that time, maybe I'm going to tweak the exercise with in the closed chain, he puts less flex position or less adducted position or less internal rotated position. When that comes, now my, uh, I have to really monitor how they're going to load, you know, so that loading pattern matters. So, Many cases when I truly think, um, many cases, yes, but like, you know, clients get benefit from some cases, like, you know, when they come to me like three days a week, 
I actually tell the clients, next time, you know what? Instead of we're doing soft tissue work, I'm going to spend one-on-one time with you. So that actually they come like 15 minutes early, do proper warm up, and our session begins. I'm going to coach them in front of myself. Sometimes I can pull text, you know, PT text with me and do that. Or we can do some in-service and do that to help in the tech as well. But many cases, I can actually work with clients when I have tech next to me. That works great too. So that sometimes, actually, I treat my tech. Then when I introduce some exercise, I'm going to coach them. I want them to feel it. Then sometimes when I'm busy, they're busy too. But I'm going to ask them to take a video of my clients doing exercises. Then ask them to come back and show me. Or if they don't know, like, you know, I create a program, then this exercise, this exercise is more quad dominant than like loading pattern really matters. Come and get me. I'm going to make my two minutes watching that program. Those kind of stuff. Then creating that, then take it's going to take, they're going to learn, you know, great. Then actually I can be there. Then athletes can learn. So educating athletes as well. I love that. Great suggestions, great thoughts. And what I want to encourage the therapist listening to do is don't forget, you don't have to tackle a thousand things at once and you don't have to watch every single thing, particularly with ACL reconstruction. Something I run into a lot is therapists saying, I don't know how to keep substantiating the need for care. Like, I don't know how to keep documenting they need care still. Their manual muscle strength test is good. The range of motion has been good for a while. How do I keep substantiating what I'm actually providing? So each day, if you don't have to worry about like, oh, I've gone from shoulder range of motion from 140 to 148 degrees of flexion, I'm improving. We don't have those stepwise progressions. When you're looking at a quick assessment at the person before they go about their day, look at an exercise or two and check how is their quad firing? Check how is their core firing? One of my biggest frustrations with a lot of research is sometimes you say like, oh, well, manual therapy wasn't shown to be very beneficial here. And I honestly want to say, well, what was the quality of manual therapy provided? (laughs) And unfortunately here, my question is, what's the quality of therapist observation that's provided? Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to downplay the benefit of looking at a open chain quad exercise, especially if you're having a hard time seeing it put them in open chain and see if they can actually fire their quad appropriately or if they're compensating. It's an easy way to substantiate what you may or may not be seeing in closed chain function. But keep in mind, open chain firing, firing without the foot on the ground might not translate to closed chain either. I would say at the end of the day, even if I have a patient on a table who is demonstrating great quad firing, good maintenance of the contraction, I assume and hope it translates, especially in a young, healthy person, translates to function in closed chain. I cannot guarantee it does. And I think I'm missing part of my job. If I stop and say, end of the day, you're firing great here. I bet you're good. Uh, I better double check that. I better do what K2 is doing and say, I'm going to look at you. I'm going to use these other function tests and make sure I see a muscle fire. I see a muscle fire strong. I see a muscle maintain firing. And then I put that muscle into a different challenge and it is still doing it because just as this article said, the viewpoint, other muscles can compensate. Sometimes the body takes the path of least resistance and goes, you know, my, my quad's not as strong as I'd like it to be yet. And I don't need it because I have buddies to help out now. Let's go ahead and stop. Let's let it kind of chill and do a little bit less work. Um, let other guys do more of the work for me. I've definitely seen that happen. I've had patients that test great in a table and not so much on the ground. So I highly encourage you to look at that. Also, I just kind of found this funny. The, the research article that was a um, review article where they were going through and I said that, you know, only five of the 37 studies had the sufficient strength. 
Well, if you keep reading um, in this article and you go through other articles that it is discussing, uh, it had two interesting ones in there. In fact, one group or one article had four different groups on ACL rehabilitation um, and looking at the quad strength at the end of this and the groups, they had an eccentric group and the eccentrics were all closed chain, by the way, an eccentrics and NMES group, a concentrics group and kind of a standard rehab protocol mishmash. The most successful group for quad strength of those four was the NMES and eccentrics group. So the NMES and (laughs) closed chain group. So in the very article, this author used authors, I keep saying author, there's two of them, sorry. These authors used to say open chain is more functional. In the very article, it has citations that show that closed chain was better for strength. What they did, though, was say, hmm, let's also throw some NMES on top of it and get better recruitment. And when you have a better foundation, you fire better. As Dan said, Duh. (laughs) And I would even challenge it and say, just make sure they have good firing. (laughs) As we've been talking about, you don't have to use it. NMES is great. You can certainly use NMES, but make sure it's there. I think that's the reoccurring theme here is if they can fire, you'll be in a better place and you can make sure they're able to appropriately return. And again, when this was keeping discussing and saying like, oh, the hop test overemphasizes potential performance sometimes. And we do have research that substantiates that. Again, this is just like the thing before I said, you've got to look at both. Just because I have a person on the table who can fire doesn't mean it can fire in closed chain. Same thing here. Just because they have maybe a isokinetic test that shows they have great quad strength does not mean that they're ready for sport. And I'm not even saying here they can't fire the quad or use the strength. They need the full chain to work together. You know, Gary, we've, I think we've talked about this story five or six times by now, but Gary tells a story of the girl who was a basketball player who had three consecutive years of ACL tears. And she had good quadricep strength. She had passed a lot of the typical uniplanar testing. But they hadn't prepared her body for the full challenges of basketball. They hadn't prepared her body for everything. So at the end of the day, you have to have that strength. Dan said it accurately. It's something that we both learned, I think, from Brett Frischer, the importance of absolute strength, the importance of having that underlying foundational strength that is often missed. But you need more than that. You need to make sure you've looked at them in sport-specific function. They have to have both. They can't operate in chambers or silos separately of each other they function together and you need to be looking at them all together well and the viewpoint article talks about that it says you know early in the rehabilitation low loads to the point of muscle fatigue are appropriate as the patient progresses resistance must increase to at least 60 to 70 percent of a one rep max well and we were talking about this you know in our pre-show prep that if again we go back to talking about safety, and I'll quote an orthopedic surgeon that we that I work closely with, I'm not going to say his name, but that's okay. Where he says an open chain knee extension machine is both his best friend and his worst nightmare. Right? It is his best friend because he knows it's going to recruit the quadriceps fantastically, and none of us would disagree with that. But it is also his worst enemy because when you start to get up to 60% of a one rep max the compensation that a person is most likely going to have through the rest of their body in a sitting position is going to create abnormal shear forces up into their hip. And that is going to potentially create a greater risk than the reward of the benefits of doing that amount of load in a non-functional position. But let's take this a step further. 60 to 70% of one rep max 
I read that as saying we as a profession have to challenge ourselves and our exercise programming to not steer away from the science of exercise to say, I have adequately, as K2 and Brett have taught you and I, provided adequate load based on the task that they are planning to return to in a safe, logical progression manner with adequate load to stress their tissue to build absolute strength. If they don't have absolute strength, like Paul just alluded to, you're you're, you're building them and the three little pigs analogy on a not strong foundation. And when the huff or the puff or the blow of wind comes, it is going to knock them over and they are going to have injury either at their knee or someplace else. And I particularly appreciate what you said there. And you talked a couple of things about safety, which is important. We have to keep safety paramount, but also we think we have to keep looking at what is safe and what is appropriate for the person in front of us. I talked about how the review went into eccentrics and NMES being the best combo of the four different groups. They had another article in there that talked about eccentrics at a earlier than typical phase. And that was the quote in there. They actually started doing eccentrics at three weeks post-op, which some have not done before. The individuals doing it earlier had better quadriceps strength and outcomes than the other groups. So we have to be intelligent with things we talk about, such as we look at tissue remodeling, as you discussed, Dan. Sometimes we say, oh my gosh, transverse plane in the ACL, you must avoid that at all times. Well, we also know that tissue remodels the stresses we place through it. So you have to think to yourself, if I need the ACLs to be able to function appropriately in the transverse plane, obviously too much force you can't get into, but appropriately, what am I doing to prep it? Yes, gate has some to it, but what else? Are there safe ways to drive through the upper extremity? What are things you can do early? Well, the tissues remodeling. As you get into that time we talk about when the, the graft is weakest, you know, that six to eight week mark, when to risk. What can you do to make sure things are remodeling appropriately, keeping the athlete or the patient safe that's in front of you? A lot of things are saying, you know, we can push people because they have to be intelligent and have good oversight to make sure they get the best outcome as quickly as possible. I love that. I always enjoy like, you know, uh, being this discussion, like you guys always stimulate my mind. Um, so then you said like open chain exercise, you know, can be good, can be friends or can be enemy, right? Depending on if we, if we don't understand the risk benefit at the same time, if we don't know when to use it, so the purpose, and uh, uh, when to use it and why we're using it and how we're gonna implement that. Same thing for the transverse plane too. You know, can be friends or enemy, depending on why using it and when and how to implement. And in the previous uh, podcast, Paul mentioned that like we want to be evidence informed. You know, therapist. Sometimes you're just using evidence based or just reading abstract. Sometimes we put the filters in our eyes. We are trying to find what we want to read what we want to find, what we want to support my point, our point, you know. But in also at the same time, so you have to be fair. At the same time, like in human function, anatomy, physiology is so complex. Sometimes we find at ease peace when things are getting more simplified or simply explained. But risk is overgeneralization is very risky because we miss the big pictures. So we have to continually, you know, challenge ourselves. And Paul, you said that, you know, yeah, research matters, yes, definitely, how we're gonna implement. But at the end of the day, the patient in front of you are not responding, 
it's not responding. <laughs> you know, we gotta find out. That is a complex complexity kicks in. So we want to be open-minded, you know, being complexity. At the, you know, we want to utilize that research, but we have to have a good balance for that. I couldn't agree more. Like Ketu said, at the end of the day, you might have research that substantiates you are doing the best, most likely gold standard treatment for your patient. If they're not responding, it might be because they're not responding and they're not going to. But there's also a good chance that it's not your fault. And it's not their mm. fault. And maybe you need a different strategy to help that person grasp. And then maybe whatever this gold standard is, you return to later. Maybe they needed something else to help their foundation. There's a lot of things to look at. But at the end of the day, if you can't critically think through the whys and what you're trying to do, it's going to be really difficult to be successful with the plethora of patients that come before you. So the final component, the final piece of this, the last section is where the author says, you know, open kinetic chain exercises are necessary for full recovery and improve function. I thought it was interesting. It was a, I don't know if it's a bold statement, but it's the strongest statement they've made. It also has the least researcher attempt to substantiate what they're stating. They go through and talk about how the quad is weakened after surgery, which we all agree. If the quad is weakened after injury, which we all agree, needs to be strengthened. Again, we all agree on these things. This is where I had one thing that I think is a caution I want to throw out to individuals. Again, with the abstract component, just reading parts of it. The sentence, and I quote, when coupled with open chain exercises, electrical stimulation yielded superior results to those of closed chain exercises. That's end quote. And that was in reference to quadricep strength. That was an interesting statement. I'm like, all right, open chain and e-stim was better than e-stim or closed chain exercises? That, that's an inter- interesting com- thought for, there, for me there. Let me, let me read this article. I'll tell you what the actual article was. The article was two groups, both doing closed chain exercises. One group simply had the NMES with open chain at the same time in conjunction with the closed chain exercises. Well, as the control group simply had closed chain exercises. So, Dan, we have another (laughs) moment. Holy shnikes, guys. Did you know that if you check and actually do something to help firing, it's going to do better than if you don't? Wow. There's some knowledge bombs that we've dropped on you to conclude this podcast. It just goes back to what we said before. You have to look at firing and do something for it. I think that shows you can use open chain exercises. I think that shows you can use NMES. They're perfectly fine to use. But you can also probably use other things. When this statement is open chain are necessary for full recovery and improved function. I don't think that proves it's necessary. I think the only thing proven necessary is that you have good quad firing. I would challenge how you get good quad, good quad firing. I think there's a number of ways to do it. All I'm saying is you better be doing it. So for the conclusion here, he had three, they had three key points. I want both of you to tell me in one or two sentences how you feel about those key points. Yes. I have asked you to keep it short. Good luck. Key point number one, open chain exercises following ACL reconstruction are safe. Duh. Duh. (laughs) Right? We're all in agreement. I I think we agree completely with this paper's (laughs) viewpoint and what the author stated. You have to be intelligent about them, right? You have to use them the right way. You can't overweight them. There are risks to it, but there are risks to everything. Be intelligent. You're good. Perfect. Second point, open chain exercises are the only means to isolate the quadriceps. False. No. <laughs> and you guys took one, two sentences and went one word. That's impressive. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm blown away. Agreed. Are they the only means? No, I, I, I don't think they are the only means. Would I flip this and say key point? 
you need to find a way to make sure you have isolated the quadriceps and they can fire. Perfect. You need to make sure you find a way to assess quadricep firing. Perfect. Could you use open chain? 100%. I know some therapists who would say you should only use closed chain. And if you're qualified and capable of figuring out how to tweak in the closed chain quad for every patient, please do. That's awesome. Um, But for those of us that maybe can't figure that out or aren't being successful, use open chain. It's fine. Use NMES. It's perfectly fine. It's successful. Just use it and have a purpose behind it and drive it to something bigger. Make sure you're trying to get both components, the firing and the function together. Final one, electromechanical dynamometers or one repetition maximum testing, so isokinetic testing, using knee extension machines are preferred methods to evaluate recovery of quadriceps muscle strength. As long as it's not in isolation. (laughs) There are many I could use as one of them, but there are so many out there. Completely. And this is where and I, I, I say, I don't think research is wrong. I think you have to know how to interpret and use it. I would say that if you're simply looking at quadriceps muscle strength, those are the statistically validated research preferred methods. I think that is a fair assessment, mm-hmm. right? I, would mm-hmm. you both agree? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. We both agree. We all three of us agree. Does that mean that's the only thing you need to do? Is quadricep strength alone sufficient for your athlete to return? If if all we needed to do was no quadricep strength, and once we have quadricep strength good, we can say with 100% certainty, or 99 since we can't predict everything, certainty, that you're successfully ready to return to sport, sure, that, that would be fine. But that's not reality, right? That's not how function works. That's not mm-hmm. how we, we need to do things. So are those great methods to assess quad strength? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Are they the only, nope. as K2 nope. said? No, they are not. Are they the only thing you need to do, period? Most no. definitely no. <laughs> you better look at the full picture right. or you will fail your athlete. And mm-hmm. that is the only thing I can guarantee from the entirety of the research that, that we have discussed. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys very much for listening. Hopefully you garnered something out of kind of this review of the viewpoint and again i think there's some very good things in this article you know people are scared sometimes of open chain and they don't need to be people aren't looking at quad strength the way that they should be and again they need to be people are afraid sometimes of pushing boundaries of the patient intelligently and safely and they should be there are great points here but it can't be done in isolation you have to look at the full picture and say this research showed me some things but there's more to it at the end of the day how does it work with the person in front of me? Because research can help guide me to what's most likely, but most likely isn't certainty. We have to be able to look and say, what does the person in front of me need? And how can I help them to the greatest extent possible? So thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out to us at therapistinmotion at spoonerpt.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. 